You are now listening to Hack My Age, the show that brings you guests with information on how to make yourself hard to kill and help you live to 100 and beyond in good condition. I'm your host, Zora Benamou, a digital nomad currently stuck in Spain, certified sports nutrition coach and master student of gerontology at USC. I am the creator of the Longevity Master Plan, an online program to slow aging and author of the cookbook, Eating for Longevity. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review to help others find us too. So today we are so fortunate to meet someone who really wants to genetically engineer you, Liz Parrish. She is going to share her experience as the first human to undergo gene therapy, and she's going to break down the science on what it actually is. She will also clear a lot of our confusion on DNA testing, telomere testing, and and all the other tests of biological aging that can help us slow down and even cure aging. Yeah, said cure. (laughs) So Liz will also cover the topic of life extension and extension of healthy lifespans using gene therapy. These therapies have been proven successful in animal trials, and now she's committed to giving them to aging humans to treat the diseases of aging and working diligently to speed up FDA approval of cutting edge gene therapies for even more human patients. Liz Parrish is the founder and CEO of BioViva. This is a company committed to extending healthy lifespans using cell technologies. And she is also a humanitarian entrepreneur, an innovator, podcaster, and a leading voice for genetic cures. As a strong proponent of progress in education for the advancement of regenerative medicine modalities, she serves as a motivational speaker to the public at large for the life sciences. She is actively involved in international education media outreach too. So I was so lucky to meet Liz Parrish through the good luck of my friends Andres and Magdalena who are also here. Thank you so much for for making this connection for all of us. So without further ado, welcome Liz. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And of course, I'm happy to know these two wonderful people who introduced us. Um, They are spreaders of information for the general public and companies like ours cannot do our job without people talking about, you know, what's actually happening in science and translating and making that bridge to people who should be interested if they're not. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. They're, they're amazing. And we're still spreading the word. Really, I'm, I'm so excited to learn more about gene therapy and, and what you're doing. So I, and I know a lot of people may have a clue what it is, but a lot of people don't really know what it is. So I'd like you to explain what does it mean exactly, gene therapy, and what put you on this journey to even learn more about it yourself, because you're not a doctor, you're not a scientist, but you know, you talk like one and you, and you, <laughs> and you behave like one. So um, it's, it would be super interesting to find out how you even got interested in this. Yeah. So I'll try to make that story really short. From 2011 to 2013, I volunteered my time for the advocacy of the use of stem cells. I learned a lot about regenerative medicine, but in 2013, my son was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And long story short, I realized and found out that all of this really fantastic technology and regenerative medicine doesn't really translate to humans. A lot of it gets stuck in research. I went looking for cures for kids and trying to find out how to translate this uh, medicine. Being in the stem cell area, you get pretty interested in genetics. So why do every cell in the body has the same genes in them? 
But why do cells behave differently? Why does your nose look like your nose and your toes look like your toes? And why do stem cells have the ability to regenerate, but other cells in your body don't? I became really interested in genetics. I got lucky enough to happen into a conference that was about aging, but it was also about genetics. And so that's why I went and I learned about aging technology, um, the genes that are associated with aging bodies, how by looking at aging, we could actually cure childhood disease faster. And let me help you understand that. So there are genes associated uh, with treating aging that can benefit childhood disease. And since working in children is considered uh, unethical in, in many cases, unless the, the children are absolutely critically ill, we have over 100,000 people that die every day of aging that could create uh, these technologies, help test these technologies, and we could actually help everyone on the planet at the same time. That's how I fell in love with genetics. I fell in love with the idea that by helping everyone, we could expedite uh, cures to kids, revolutionize how we do medicine this is what prompted you to even investigate in that area. And so what happened after I'm actually, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts before and interviews, and I'm always thinking about your son, you know, this is 2013. He was diagnosed with diabetes type one. What did you eventually do with him and how is he doing now? I, I, I hate to ask you, this is like so off topic, but it's just really sitting on me. And I'd like to know what you did for him. And if, and if the gene therapy is a part of this. So gene therapy, so that's considered an autoimmune disorder. So gene therapy right now, we cannot directly affect autoimmune disorders. So right now he's using the best technology that he can for today. So he's got a, a blood glucose monitoring system, you know, that's injected into his arm. He's got a pump that's injected into his stomach. And we are watching trials that have to do with stem cells and genetics that will cure this disease. But autoimmune conditions are very uh, fragile conditions because uh, you don't want to exacerbate the situation. So in this case, you know, we're very supportive of the companies that are working and have spent decades working on a potential cure for type one. That is probably something that it would take another decade or so for my company to be able able to tackle just because of the complexity of the situation. You think aging is complex, but uh, adjusting the immune system is very complex, uh, even more so for all of us. And that's something that we can talk about later in this conversation. Uh, right now, the best course of action is to support companies who are on the cutting edge, the bleeding edge of those technologies and watch what they're doing. Essentially, we do the best that we can with the technology we have today. And we're supportive of the technology coming up in that area because a lot of people are suffering from type 1 diabetes. It's actually on the rise with COVID-19, by the way. Oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that. So that'll be that'll be interesting thing to watch to see if there's any development in in, um, in medicine that can help. But I'd like to know then. So what? How did you get involved with uh, creating your company or getting being the first human to go through gene therapy? And you know, walk us through also at some point what it means to go through gene therapy. What do you do? Right, right. So even though we're not working on a, a cure for type one diabetes right now, we are working on technology that will massively benefit my son's life and everyone else's life. And so how did we get on this route? So 
after I started looking into the genetics that were behind aging and the one, the genetics that correlated with childhood disease, we found two targets, uh, two targets that uh, were the lowest hanging fruit in, in treating aging. And one was a gene therapy that lengthened your telomeres. Those are the ends of the chromosomes and they shorten as you age. So your body has a finite amount of cellular divisions and this gene therapy sort of busts that. So regardless of whether, you know, people are huge fans of lengthening telomeres, if you want to extend lifespan, you're going to have to do it. So it's going to be an integral part of any longevity therapy in the future, just regardless of what your end goals are, unless you want to live a short life and just live really healthy in that time. But really, you know, the biggest benefit is, is to extend health. That gene therapy had not been used in humans. I wasn't the first person to ever use gene therapy. There were gene therapy trials in the 90s and in humans, uh, but I was the first person to use gene therapy to treat biological aging. And so that was one of the gene therapies that I used. And the other one was called folistatin. It is a gene that codes for a protein that blocks something called myostatin that limits, myostatin limits your muscle growth. So think of it as you do the gene therapy and you have the capacity to uh, gain more muscle mass. And that is really beneficial for an aging population, as well as uh, children with myopathies with, that have muscle degradation. They might have uh, muscular dystrophies or close to those type of conditions. Uh, telomerase is really uh, potentially beneficial for kids with progeria, which is accelerated aging. In cell cultures, uh, in progeric children's cells, it actually reverses uh, the aging process. And anyone hasn't looked into progeria, you know, these kids die young. They usually die in their teen years of the diseases that we die of when we're, you know, 80 or 90 years old. In progeria, if they did a gene therapy with the, the myostatin, then they would be able to live longer or just more quality life? In progeria, they would want to do the telomerase-inducing uh, gene therapy. And the hope is, the hypothesis is, is that it could reverse uh, the aging in the cells and the effects of uh, uh, protein called progerin on the telomeres and actually extend their healthy lifespan. And why that hasn't been um, expedited, I, I don't know. There's very few kids uh, that actually suffer from progeria, but I'm not sure why um, somebody hasn't done that. There's been a lot of research and study around it. Okay, that makes more sense then. For some reason, I thought it was the, the, the mastatin. So you chose these two because mm -hmm. as a starting point, because they were the low hanging fruit, they were more accessible, they, had, they were just easier to administer or there was a, more, a greater need. Well, they had a lot of work already done around them. So anything that we look at in gene therapy has what's called a meta-analysis. It has to have been around for a while, and it has to have research done on by multiple labs that are not associated with one another. If you're looking at something that is going to be first in human use, you want as much data as you can possibly get. And so if we had a, a new gene today, you know, we, we've been hearing about genes that might be associated with aging, there was a gene that just uh, was recently found in a mouse study in China. We wouldn't use that. It would it would need to go through you know rigorous testing through um, different uh, labs or at least preclinical work working towards uh, human development. 
these genes, these two genes, uh, both folostatin and the HTERT, uh, the one that lengthens the telomeres, had had you know over a decade of information on them, and the folostatin had already gone through safety and efficacy for uh, muscular dystrophy. And it was not a cure for muscular dystrophy. It did increase uh, muscle mass, but that is not curative mechanism for uh, many kids with muscular dystrophy, unfortunately. So why is it not being investigated. Why can't, you know, if this, this gene therapy has already been proven in humans, is it just not enough for people to run with it and start administering this to, to children with progeria or any other one, any of the people who just want to extend their telomeres um, for one reason or another? The folostatin has been through safety and efficacy and why it's not being used in an aging population, I really think it comes down to ingenuity and finances. I, I'm shocked that you know somebody isn't uh, running it in a clinical trial right now in the U.S. for sarcopenia, which is muscle wasting with with aging. As far as HTERT for uh, lengthening the chromosomes, that's still really new technology, and I think that we're the first company that's gathering human data on uh, what happens with that gene therapy. Also, from our the other podcast that I've been listening to, I'm trying to learn more about gene therapy myself. It seems to be legal in some countries and illegal in others. Is that true? A, a technology is supposed to be regulated by any country before it's prescribed to humans. Uh, there are some uh, gray areas where patients and doctors can, by consent, use a technology. Even in the United States, you can apply for an emergency IND to use it in the technology in a patient who's dying. Um, that's just rather cumbersome. So many companies just work through uh, medical tourism. Uh, they take people from one country who really want to access a technology and they consent to access the technology to another country to participate in that technology. Okay. So is this something that you really have to ask your doctor about if you're in this critical state, but what about somebody who just wants to, yeah, I, I would love to have more muscle mass or obviously extend my telomeres and I'm not in a disease state. So is that something that's doable? You know, our company doesn't give gene therapy, but we work with a company called Integrative Health Systems. And uh, what I can tell you is I do believe in agency and autonomy to do with your body what you wish to do with it. But those persons who were interested in that and who were not in a disease state would need to talk to a doctor. They would need to, under, the doctor would need to understand what exactly the goal that this patient had and whether or not they qualified for a treatment. Is it something that's very expensive to do or is it realistic for the general population? Well, gene therapy is really expensive and that's something that we have been uh, working on. So uh, gene therapy right now, they the of the five regulated gene therapies, they're the most expensive uh, medicine in the world. It doesn't have to be like that. So the reason that those treatments are so expensive is that they're treating monogenic diseases. A monogenic disease means a human was born with a single gene mutation. There's one gene defect. And there are very, in the case of the five uh, past gene therapies, except for one of them that's for cancer, it's a pretty rare population. They're called orphan diseases. They affect, you know, less than one in 12,000 people. 
there's not a huge market for those therapies. And even though they're a one-time treatment for a potential lifetime cure, the market doesn't bear what the research and uh, the whole progression through the regulatory system costs the drug maker. When you're looking at something like biological aging, you're looking at scale. It's something that affects everyone on the planet. And I believe that it can be much more affordable. We work with integrative health systems to, so that they can give us data on how gene therapies are performing. And one of the fantastic things we've been able to do is work with nonprofits to fund studies in humans. So integrative health systems work with Maximum Life Foundation and funded six people to take gene therapy for dementia. For some people, it might not cost very much in the cases that the uh, technology can get funded. In other cases, it can be pretty cost prohibitive for most people. It could be around just under $100,000 to $300,000 to participate in a gene therapy. That's prohibitively expensive, and um, and that's something that hopefully in the future will will change, just like with any new technology. So it seems as though the the that's one of the biggest obstacles, as well as perhaps being accepted around around the world and being more studied. So why aren't people studying this more than than they are? Or am I am I wrong? They actually are. Well, there are more companies now looking at gene therapy than ever. So let me put things into perspective. So if you'd use medical tourism to access a gene therapy today, let's say it's even upwards of $500,000. Let's put it into perspective of the gene therapies that are regulated through the market. A gene therapy that was most recently regulated for spinal muscular atrophy is between two and $5 million. So the difference is, is that medical tourism drives the cost down significantly. And then let's put that in perspective, other medicine as well. If you wanted to have an open heart surgery here in the United States, it's over 157,000. But if you went to, let's say India, it's 9,000 and actually you have a better chance of survival. In India? You have to put in perspective that even though it's expensive, it's a lot less expensive than with a regulated drug. And, but hopefully we can even do better than that when we have regulated drugs in the, in the U S. So why is the chances of survival greater in India? If you were to do a, say, for example, open heart surgery, uh, you know, that's, that's something that we're looking into. Is it better oversight? Do, is there more staff looking over your records, ensuring a better outcome? Why is that? Why are some healthcare systems uh, better than others? You know, medical tourism has a lot of uh, benefit to actually push towards being the best, right? To, to have the uh, best outcome for patients is really a hallmark of getting people to participate. It's probably maybe better oversight, uh, maybe less red tape. Good yeah, question. it could be interesting. I spent a lot of time in Thailand and medical tourism is quite big there. So, um, and you get excellent service, um, really beautiful hospitals. Uh, and so the experience is quite nice and people like to go there and get whatever it is that they're done, whether it's you know something serious or something just uh, aesthetic they're kind of having a vacation as they go along. So in fact, the money, they still go home and save more money. So medical tourism, I think is is a huge industry that's growing and um, that'll be interesting as as, well. Hopefully one day we will be more mobile and, um, and can do all these things. Can I ask you then what prompted you to become the first person to, to undergo gene therapy for biological aging? 
and were you scared? Well, you know, it, it, it really it really talks to your next question of, you know, how many companies are doing this and is it getting funding? You know, why has this technology sat so long without movement? I know several companies that would like to, you know, look at telomerase extending therapeutics, both in RNA and DNA type therapies. I have no idea. We've reversed aging in animals. Scientists have, you know, for over a decade with, with telomerase induction. We know species that are considered, you know, partially immortal because they have it upregulated in their system. I think it's just on, on a gross scale, it's just really bad decisions. And I guess it was a lucky thing for us to step in and, and have the opportunity to look at, at such a powerful technology and have it really have not been used in humans. I think that it's funding, but I think that it's also gross oversights for genetic cures. And also, you know, gene therapy was set back, you know, by a couple of decades because there was a bad outcome in 1999. It started with a bang in 1990, uh, treating severe combined immune deficiency with luck and having really good outcomes. And then in 1999, unfortunately, a boy named Jesse Gilsinger died of a gene therapy reaction, not to the gene, but to the vector that they used to use to deliver it. it. It just set back the industry so far that people really stopped looking at it. So when I came in, I met Bill Andrews and he talked to me about telomere extension and how it could actually help a myriad of childhood diseases and could help an aging population. I talked to him, well, how, how do you know that that's true? And he said, well, there's this gene therapy. And when we use the gene therapy, human cells get youthful by, you know, every measure. And when it's been used in animals, this is what happens. And I said, well, then why hasn't it been used in a human? Why have we been sitting on this technology? He said, well, you know, people are, are afraid to try it. And I said, well, I'm not afraid to try it because if we don't try it, we die. And, you know, I see my son, you know, suffer with a chronic illness every day. And, you know, my grandmothers were already, had already died of dementia. If you have a, a rational mind, you can see where things are going today. Maybe you're healthy, but in the future, I mean, what, what do humans do? They plan for the future. I just felt like it was a mandate that somebody had to take that gene therapy. And I wanted to start a company around this. And I said, you know, I don't want to lead to someone else getting sick from this technology. So I'll just take it myself. Uh, so Bill uh, designed uh, the gene therapy that I took uh, for telom telomere extension. And then our doctor who had already uh, done a myostatin inhibitor, he had taken a gene therapy to increase muscle mass, suggested that I take that as well with the telomere extending gene therapy. And we looked at the synergistic effects. We studied it for about a year and a half before I took it. And then um, we jumped. That's amazing. I still am dumbfounded why people are not jumping on board with this therapy and other human testing, because it's just like any, any kind of drug that you take someone, you know, there'll be enough animal models and then eventually we have to go into humans. So it, it just happens with every single drug that's done. Like why would the, why would it stop with this one and not with all the others? And we know that drugs are not always effective and people are still putting themselves at risk by taking a drug, but okay, there's nothing else. This to me just seems like a no brainer to keep moving forward, just like you would with any other therapy or drug. 
think it's just like a tier of technology. So even though there are plenty of uses for nutraceuticals, nutraceuticals are kind of like humans stepping in and using nature for their ailments. You know, they find some bark and it starts to alleviate pain and they find, you know, something else and it increases blood flow like curcurum or something like this. And that's one level. That's one level of humans stepping into medicine. And then you have the next level, which is pharmaceuticals. And these are small molecules that you vastly take in pill form. They have what's called side effects. And so some of the side effects might be things like lowering your um, LDL cholesterol. Other side effects of that same drug called the statin is increasing your risk of type uh, two diabetes. One in four people who take them will get type two diabetes and one in 10 will get dementia probably isn't the best way to do things. And so the pharmaceutical companies are kind of king right now. They, they have a lot of money because they make a lot of money off of these drugs. And there's nothing wrong with that. They've helped people. They've harmed people. They've helped people. The, the number one point though is, is you will die taking those drugs. We are now stepping in with gene therapies and pharmaceutical companies. Some of them are buying gene therapies now because they can see the progression, the next step. And this is where we start treating things at the cellular level. We start, this is the game changer. There's no more adverse side effects. If the side effect is the upregulation of a protein. So, so, you know, genes code for proteins and those proteins are how everything about you. And we're now looking at genes that upregulate regeneration. So what is aging? Aging is cellular degeneration over time. Now we're looking at genes that upregulate the regeneration and the hope is to upregulate it faster than the degeneration. So we look at the hallmarks of aging, which is telomere attrition, mitochondrial dysfunction, inter and extracellular communication signals and senescent cells. And there's 10 hallmarks of aging. And we're looking at gene therapies that treat those. So in the future, you don't, you know, you're not trying to treat something like dementia or heart disease or kidney failure. You're, you're treating the hallmark that, that is driving uh, those diseases. It, it's to create now therapeutics that keep us from degenerating to begin with. So a lot of people say, oh, you know, heart disease runs in my family, but everyone is getting kidney failure, for instance. That's just happens over time to everyone. By the time you're 65, you probably have two or three diseases of aging. Your doctor is probably at least treating one of them very hard with prescription medicine. And then you're probably taking prescription medicine that's treating the symptoms of those other prescription medicines you're taking. It's not uncommon for someone who's 60 to be taking five pills a day and somebody who's 70 to be taking over 12 they're still dying. So we're looking at technology that would essentially arrest that at the cellular level and that your diseases of the future will be, okay, you're suffering from telomere attrition. We're going to give you a therapy for that. Or you're suffering from mitochondrial dysfunction or too many senescent cells. We're going to give you a therapy for that. So will there be a, a use for nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals along with the gene therapies? Absolutely. There's always going to be a place for those, but I believe that they will just become um, optimizing health. You will, will just use the good ones for optimizing health as we solve the, the bigger problems at the genetic level. So do you think it's not being explored and studied as much because they don't have the resources as, as, as big pharmaceutical companies that can make a lot of money off of this? Because it seems to me a gene therapy, you could still make a lot of money even if the prices come down. It seemed if I were a businessman and or a woman <laughs> thinking, okay, 
I want to make some money and I want to get into biotech. It's just to, to me seems like a fantastic field to get into because everyone needs it. We're all aging and we're all dying. So why, you know, solve a lot of problems as well. Not only solving the problems of people who have Parkinson's and, and Alzheimer's and all the other degenerative diseases, but also the people who just want to stay youthful, like that's a whole other market, you know? So I just see that there'd be actually tons of money in here. So I, I don't know why there's not enough funding and then not enough research. It just blows my mind. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Cause you know, I mean, staying youthful is actually the most money saving thing that any country could do is help their people stay youthful. Um, each one of the aging diseases is a trillion dollar disease, either locally, nationally, or globally. We spend a lot of money on people being sick. Healthy people lose a lot of work time and a lot of their money uh, taking care of sick people. So we see more and more pharmaceutical companies starting to buy uh, gene therapy companies because they do know that it is the next level. If you look at it and, you, and you're asking why, you know, why do we not have uh, clean energy? Why do we continually have the oil industry, you know, pumping out uh, a bunch of toxins and waste when we know and they know they could make the same amount of money? It's really kind of it's disrupting a system. So a lot of these big companies, they work on these 10 year tracks. For instance, just in Seattle, uh, you know, the mayor said that by 2030, you know, pickup rides, ride shares, things like Uber need to be all electric. Why 2030? These industries have to prepare for these changes. It's not that it couldn't be done almost immediately. It's just, it might limit the people out there, you know, in the short term, they would all have to, you know, people would have to rush and, and buy a new car. They have to put money into the technology that they believe in. The truth is, is that I think that most of these people, even though they're, most people are good, they're, they're good people. Uh, they put profits over our environment and our health. Yeah. And maybe it's also short-term profits. I mean, you know, you can say long-term profits. If we treat aging, they're going to have more money than, you know, they, they could deal with, but it's, it, it has an upfront cost. Hey, I'm butting in for a quick second. If you enjoy the content brought to you in this podcast, consider supporting Hack My Age by becoming a patron on patreon.com. This is where you can drop a tip or become a member for the price of a coffee. Members get special material, free coaching, and private Zoom calls. Join us by going to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash hack my age. Thanks for your support. Now let's get back to the podcast. How long do you think it'll take then before gene therapy becomes mainstream? If well, all- in my life, it already is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your world. But so, for both of us, we don't have access to this or you don't even know yeah. about it. That's why, you know, every day we, you know, the a goal is to learn something every day. And everyone who's listening today is is learning uh, something new with us that that gene therapy is a thing, uh, that it is out there, that there are several regulated uh, gene therapies now and more are coming. Uh, more companies are developing gene therapies to treat complex disease uh, rather than, you know, monogenic diseases that only affect very few people uh, on the planet. I think that now is the time to read about it and get interested in it. We're looking at data from a company called Integrative Health Systems who are doing human studies now. If we have a great success, what we'll do is we'll translate that technology, we'll pay for the licensing of that technology, we'll bring it to BioViva and we'll start running it for a drug. 
Right now, the US FDA does not consider aging a disease. Uh, therefore, we can't run it for aging. So we have to think of age-related disorder that it will treat and one that we'll have success in. And then it will take between eight and 15 years to get to anyone. And then let's put things into perspective. More than, because it, it grows year by year, but more than 41 million people die every year of aging. So this is why we are happy to also be coordinating with companies that do medical tourism. You may have eight or 15 years, you, you certainly look like it, but there are people who might be listening today that only have a matter of months, right? Or they might only have a few years. We really can't tell. So the power of translating medicine more quickly, this is this platform that we're working with, that we're helping to build is something that we hope that the we can even get the regulatory system in the USA to start using. We should be using these drugs right now in the United States with everyone who qualifies. We should set the protocol. We should set the cohort. We should say, if you really need a drug right now, that these drugs should be used uh, in those people. And we could expedite this, I mean, really by decades, because like I said, we would have to run the drug for one indication get approval for one indication, eight to 15 years for one indication. And the estimated cost is $2.4 billion. Okay, that's too much. <laughs> and then we'd have to run it for another indication. And then we'd have to run it for another indication. We're, we're just making drugs wrong. So drugs, yeah, they should be as safe as possible before they're used in massive populations. But there is really no such thing right now as a safe drug. And so we need to get the regulatory system to ease the cost of doing business. We need to get the regulatory system to start looking at an expedited route. This platform for testing drugs, again, right here in the US, right there in the UK, right there in Spain, where all the people are sitting who are on this call right there in Russia, we, we can create the blueprint for expediting human data. I mean, because that's the difference. So we just did a study at Rutgers. Andres knows about this. He's been, he's been uh, helping us work on the paper. We increased the lifespan of mice yet again by using telomerase. Hey, great. The reason we did it is because we're looking at a new gene therapy delivery method that can deliver multiple genes at one time. So we, we are very, very interested in making sure that you get all the genes you need in one treatment in the future. And that's kind of a differentiation factor with our company. But we went ahead and used a gene that we could do a reproducible outcome on to prove that the technology worked. There we did it again. Mice are living longer, humans are not. It seems to me then when the FDA approves aging as a disease, then things would be expedited faster. Or no? It'll help a lot because it will get research funded. It will help us look at uh, what's called multiple mortalities. So we can treat a myriad of aging symptoms uh, at the same time, uh, rather than, you know, looking to treat towards one disease, which it, like I said, is just a symptom of aging. I have been just floored. Uh, in the last year, a couple of universities in the United States and one outside of the United States just opened departments in their biology units that are just streamlined for aging. 
they're getting it at basic research. We're getting it here in the biotech space, the translational engine of biotech, which is cellular technology. It's different than pharmacology to humans that this is where we need to go. We just need to get the thumbs up from the community. The world at large needs to demand this type of technology. And then the regulatory systems will change. Okay, so we're going to work on that, spreading the word. Everybody who's here, everybody who's listening, make sure you do this and spread the word because it is so vital. Thinking of someone who, imagine, has a parent or has Alzheimer's, for example, and they are desperate and they hear about gene therapy, what are the steps they do? Because I saw some of your videos and you were doing, and you went to clinic, you had an injection because it's an injection and you talk about vectors. So maybe you can explain a little bit how the therapy works and what it, is it feel, do you feel anything and what changes do people see? What have you seen? And it is, if you know of any either Alzheimer's patients who've gone through gene therapy or other very um, serious disease. So we did do an Alzheimer's or a dementia, a general dementia study. Most of the patients had Alzheimer's uh, last summer. We are going to have a paper come out in the next couple months of, of the changes that we saw. And then we're probably going to have another study coming up with a, a different uh, route of delivery for the gene, same gene therapy to see if we can get a different response. So what we're really talking about, I mean, what I am mostly as a patient advocate, how do, you, do patients get access to technology? who need it. There's a few things going on there. So if you had dementia, what do you do? And what is gene therapy? So let's just say, okay, I've been diagnosed with dementia, and then we'll get into what gene therapy is. I've been diagnosed with dementia. I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Okay. I've had some brain imaging done and I've met with my doctor and and I have a, a succinct diagnosis. There, there are a couple of small molecule drugs that can uh, slow the progression in, in the earliest stages. And then I know that it's pretty much downhill from there. So, so now I'm I'm seeking out information. I'm I'm I want to find something that that I'm not going to lose my personhood. This is a very very serious disease. I lost both of my grandmothers to it. I look into to gene therapy, and I I find this company that's that's offering technology, and maybe they have a study that I can enter, or maybe it's you know something that I need to talk to a doctor and see if I qualify, and there's costs associated. So what can I expect as a person? You know what is gene therapy? I know nothing about it. Well, that team who you're working with needs to educate you on what the technology is. Uh, the doctor, of course, is going to make sure that the benefits or the potential benefits outweigh the risks. We have to understand that there is no cure for Alzheimer's that's known and that you're now participating in experimental medicine that may or may not work for your condition. Then you need to understand what gene therapy is. In gene therapy, we use a vector to deliver functional copies of a gene that will benefit the cells and benefit the outcome of the disease. What is a vector? Here's a really exciting thing. Over a billion people will participate in their first gene therapy uh, this year by taking the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine. Those are short-term gene therapies. They are mRNA, messenger RNA, and they'll only last in your body for a couple of days, long enough to elicit an immune response to a spike protein, which would mimic COVID-19. mRNA is a very short-acting gene therapy. Then if you want a longer-acting gene therapy, you do RNA 
and those gene therapies can last about 30 days. Now, if you want a long-term expression, maybe the lifetime of the cell, in some cases, maybe the lifetime of the organism, depending on how the gene therapy is given, you use DNA. And DNA is going to upregulate the expression of the gene for the long-term. But it has to be, in order to do that, it has to be delivered to the nucleus. So in the case of Pfizer and the Moderna, they're using a liposome. They're just, it only needs to be there for a couple of days so they can put it in what's called the cytoplasm, right inside the cell wall. And then it uses the machinery of your cells to make the spike protein. When we're trying to do a longer acting gene therapy, we need to get it into the nucleus. And here we get into a really interesting area. What can get it there? Well, what are really good at getting genes into the nucleus are viruses. And so everyone's gonna be like, oh no, viruses. <laughs> but these viruses can't get you sick. They can't replicate. What they can do is we use part of the shell of the uh, virus to communicate with the cell that says, knock, knock, let me in. What are virus is really good getting into your cells. And then it says, knock, knock, let me into the nucleus as well. Something that these liposomes are not doing. When it gets in there, it drops the gene and leaves. So then you just kind of pee out those capsids, they're called, and you're left with the functional copy of a therapeutic gene that then makes your cell healthier. What people need to understand then uh, is what that looks like and what that's going to feel like. I have dementia and I want to go to participate in a gene therapy. And now I understand that vectors are going to deliver a therapeutic gene to my cells. But what am I going to experience? I'm going to experience, you know, um, going to a clinic, meeting with a doctor. I may stay in a hospital for a couple of days, uh, depending on the, the treatment. And I'm going to take immune suppressants, something that's going to lower my immune system so that my immune system doesn't attack this new therapeutic gene. And then I'm going to have uh, probably an IV uh, given to me that is going to be full of billions, quadrillions of these uh, little vectors that are delivering a therapeutic gene. And I'm essentially not going to feel anything. I'm probably just going to sit through the process. It's going to feel like getting an IV. And then I'm going to take immune suppressants for the next uh, four to six weeks. That's never fun. Immunosuppressants have some minor side effects. Um, generally, you know, just, you know, you don't sleep as well and uh, you might be really hungry uh, during that time, which can actually be beneficial to your gene therapies anyway. So not too bad. And then I'm going to get on to my life. And then over the next three to six months, I may start to uh, feel my muscle mass increasing, especially with working out. I may have diminished pain in my body. I may or may not. Uh, this is where the whole experiment comes in, you know, at that point, you know, you, you are a guinea pig for the outcomes. I know as far as integrative health systems, uh, they've had no negative outcomes and, and it's not anticipated. That's why they're using genes that have been harnessed for, you know, over a decade in a myriad of studies where there, there aren't negative side effects. I mean, that's the beauty of the medicine. That's the difference between the small molecule damaging your liver, hurting your kidneys and having a side effect of, you know, maybe lowering your cholesterol levels and gene therapy that's just upregulating a protein that's beneficial. I mean, if anything, you should feel less. You should feel, the hope is, is that you would feel less aches and pains, uh, feel more functional. You would feel less limited in your body movement. And um, in the case of the fullestatin, you would have increased muscle mass. So actually getting this may 
bring a lot of other positive side effects rather than negative side effects. So it's, if it's just upregulating a lot of other things. You, that- you shouldn't have the negative side effects. Um, that I mean, that's the whole idea of gene therapy is, is targeting exactly uh, what you need. And just to put things in perspective, like, you know, so why would somebody choose to increase their muscle mass? You know, sarcopenia is a killer. People die of frailty. They fall down and break their hips. And it just so happens that when you increase muscle mass in animal models, they live longer. Uh, There's some interesting uh, positive side effects to um, doing something so simple as as muscle mass increase. Actually, it is a lot more important than people think. I'm doing my master's in gerontology now, and uh, we talk about frailty as well. And and how, I think it was like 7% of the people in population are frail and actually have falls. And it was another really big number and I can't remember, don't quote me on this, it was maybe 50% or more that die within a year or two of having a fall due to frailty. I don't remember the exact number, but I remember being impressed thinking, oh, wow, that's, that's a big one. And they, and they, they, uh, and they die either because of some, some issues because of the fall or because of the treatments that they get. So frailty is a yeah. big one. You think it's not, but it actually is it kills about 6% of the population. Most of the population, almost all of it, except for really rare cases in some gene knockout persons, people who don't have uh, like myostatin genes and things like that, get every, everyone gets frailty, sarcopenia to some extent. You lose muscle mass after the age of 35 quite significantly by about 1% a year. Like you said, it, it leads to some pretty catastrophic outcomes. Yeah, no. And one question about the the gene therapy, you said that you injecting a gene, where does this gene come from? Is this fabricated? Is this harvested from some other animal or human? Where does this gene come from? And how you do you know that's, that's the one that's your that you need? That's a good question. People ask that all the time. They're like, wait a minute, you know, is this a synthetic? We don't do anything in synthetic biology, which is, you know, like sort of like a new form of brand new gene that could be dangerous. These are human genes and the sequences come from human gene banks. So they are the functional copy of a gene. And then it is cultured out in cell culture to a magnitude that can be used in gene therapy. Okay. A gene bank. (laughs) That sounds really interesting who is in charge of this bank and yeah what, what is that all about <laughs> like you just go in there and I want to give some, I want to donate my genes I, I got pretty good genes somebody saved so I could donate do I get paid for that what's going no, on no 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 they're, they're the known sequences of the genes that are so there you you can google it there are companies that keep the pristine sequences of healthy functional copies of genes where do they get them from well, I imagine uh, they they originally come from a pristine source of that specific gene. So and like then, Magdalena will go there, give a couple of genes. And, uh, you can, you know, can we're all get a lot of plasmids made. Plasmids are, are just, you know, the, the loose genes. They just have very little uptake into your cells. Gotta go Google it. There are gene banks that have, you know, the pristine copies of these genes. And then uh, gene therapy just stems down from that. No, that's okay. That's a whole other business, a whole other field. I'm going to definitely Google it because that just sounds amazing. I kind of get it now. So if you have a, a disease or an issue and you're really desperate, obviously you, you get it. I imagine a lot of people, if you've got very little years to live or months, then you probably say, what, what have I got to lose? I'm dying anyways. 
now people go in there, they get their therapy and you explain some of the things that they're looking at. And in terms of dementia, because I'm going to then later ask you about your own gene therapy, because you were not in a disease state when you did this, um, at least not that I know of, and then you had some, some benefits um, or not. But if somebody's having dementia, do they start to recover their memory or what kind of cognitive functions are they seeing and by when? That is what we're studying right now. And so in May, you should see a paper come out from us about that. Uh, we're waiting on follow-up brain images. I believe that a cognitive test is done on all of these patients every two weeks. And this is where uh, we'll be talking about what we did see. And then we'll look at, at a different administration uh, of the gene therapy to see if there are even for further benefits that we can get. As far as my own blood work, you know, we saw a reduction in triglycerides, which should mean uh, better heart health. We saw uh, across the board, we see uh, lowering HbA1Cs, which is, you know, basically a measure of blood glucose over a period of time and how much your blood uh, sugar levels are damaging your cells. And so we see uh, lower blood glucose, which should be beneficial to uh, diseases like type 2 diabetes. We saw increased muscle mass. Uh, we continue to see that. Uh, I'm due for some new MRIs. Uh, we saw increase in telomere length. So my average telomere length increased. Test that I got back from 2020, it also showed a, a small increase. And so we'll watch that and see if there's a limit. We also looked at how to look at a telomere test. So if you're looking at something that shows you the average length of long telomeres and the short telomeres, uh, what that might mean for gene therapy, for instance, gene therapy today cannot target every cell in the body. And so for something like folostatin, increasing your muscle mass, that's okay because that protein is shared in the blood, meaning we don't have to target every cell in the body to have an increase in muscle mass uh, systemically. But with something like telomerase, we need to get it in every cell of the body. So we might find that some, there are still some shorter telomeres associated with the, the cells that were not treated or not affected by the gene therapy. But then the longer telomeres are kind of more what we're interested in and the average length overall. So it helps us sort of sort out how the, the technology is working, what sort of percentage of coverage that it's giving and what we can hope to develop as far as better technology and better delivery methods for the future. Sure. One question about your own experiment. So I, I'm a little bit confused. I know I saw some videos of you. It was quite a while ago. What year did you do your gene therapy and have you done multiple sessions? And what are the latest? So there's a question here about the latest uh, results of biological age. I did my gene therapy in uh, 2015. Since then in 2020, I tried the Clotho and the PGC1 alpha as well. Clotho is a gene that's also associated with extending lifespans. It is associated with uh, protection against cardiovascular disease and chronic kidney disease. Uh, our hope is to use it in combination with one of the other genes to see if we can reverse chronic kidney disease. It's also associated with the protection against dementia, cognitive decline. 
It is pretty beneficial systemically. It extends lifespan of animals. It protects against uh, some of the, the big killers. We're pretty excited about that. For instance, it, for just one use case, if chronic kidney disease is just a magnitude of massive disease. Okay, so that's something that we'd really like to affect with um, a gene therapy. If you look at dementia, because we've been talking a lot about dementia, Upon autopsy, uh, some people who appear to have had a good dose of Alzheimer's, <laughs> not that there's such thing, but have had Alzheimer's, but didn't suffer from cognitive decline, generally have a upregulated gene called Clotho. It's protecting them from the cognitive decline, uh, regardless of the disease. In mice, when injected with the Clotho protein, they were 20% uh, more intelligent uh, within an hour. This is kind of technology that could help buffer and, and supplement uh, this, the type of age reversal technologies by protecting the system and in increasing uh, a function of, of both the brain and cellularly throughout the body. So we're really excited about that. And then there's another one called PGC1-alpha. It helps with mitochondrial biogenesis. And so it could take a cell that has, you know, really some unhealthy mitochondria with which your mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. Um, they're, they're what is giving you energy. It essentially uh, makes the mitochondria more robust, more functional uh, copies of mitochondria in the cell, and therefore uh, the cell can clean up a bunch of uh, cellular damage. It's a gene that's upregulated when you work out, actually. So you, you know, you, your friend goes and they get on a workout uh, regimen for a couple months and you go and you see them and you're like, wow, you look fantastic. It's, it's one of the genes uh, behind that when it's upregulated, it tends to uh, start to translate uh, white fat uh, towards brown fat, more um, easily used energy. And um, it might be a really beneficial gene therapy for things like gross obesity. Oh, that's absolutely true. I've been listening to a book called The Fat Switch, and um, there's a really great chapter about that. And and definitely, the more mitochondria you have and the better functioning they are, well, you're going to feel more energy and you're going to go work out more. And so it's just a, a great cycle that that's get started. So what hit so that you so your first gene therapy was when you're about 45, 44, and mm -hmm. you've seen some great results so far. And you've only are you, are you keep monitoring that or do you, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a Russian guinea pig forever for the rest of my life. And, and, oh, that was one thing that, that you had asked, uh, that, that probably I didn't, uh, I wasn't sick. So I didn't have a diagnosis, one that you might get from a doctor like heart disease or uh, chronic kidney disease or anything like that. But by 45, we have a lot of cellular damage. In your 20s, they can find a decent amount of cellular damage. And some people already have atherosclerotic plaques. And some people, they can already start now with these really sensitive di diagnostics, a suggestion of, of potential uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. The accumulation of damage happens before we're born. We're already accumulating a certain amount of damage. It's kind of overlooked um, during development because we think of that as still growing. We, we don't think of that as detrimental things that could be happening to the cell and cellular communications that may not, they, they are more op optimal than they are now, but the future human is actually stays in homeostasis, right? The, the future human, our perfect design is to 
have as much diversity on the planet as we have today, if not more, but bodies that regenerate faster than they degenerate. So by the time you're 45, you have a good deal of damage. At that point, especially historically, we just really didn't have the proper biomarkers to look at that. And those are the things that are changing now. We now have epigenetic clocks. We have uh, immune system clocks like glyconage. Uh, we have the ability to look at blood levels of senescent cells and NAD. We didn't have that before. And these tests uh, will just grow and they will supersede sort of what we look at now, which is mostly blood levels, which, which are important, but they're kind of like a snapshot in time. Your blood levels may change throughout the day, depending on what you eat. And we tend to do these fasting blood levels uh, that may or may not be associated with our overall health. And so the, the testing is getting uh, better than it was then. But I think that what we'll find in the future is that even though we'll start treating older people with these uh, type of gene therapies now, uh, people who have a greater need so that the benefits outweigh the risks. In the future, these will be used much like immunizations in very young age to ensure that people don't get sick and accumulate the damage that they do over time. I want to go into the testing because you know a lot about testing for this stuff. And before we do, I just want to answer a couple of questions that were here. Um, there was a question asking for, they want to promote your work and they need more data, newer data too. So um, they're looking for your coming paper with Rutgers. Yes. Yeah. So that's going to be really exciting for a lot of people. It has some amazing co-authors who worked on uh, the technology with us, who really believe in, in what we did and are excited about the future of the company. And so stay tuned, stay with us. Uh, we thought that we would have the paper published actually by this time, but the teams got so excited about it. Uh, other groups came in and said, we want to help with, with some testing around this. We, we want to actually make it even more complete. We have a couple tests that are still out and then we'll we'll go through editing and have the paper out. So I can't tell you exactly when that's going to be, but I can say that it will be a hallmark paper in aging and hopefully have a big impact on this area of research. That's exciting. Is that going to include the biological age test that Magdalena is asking about? No, that so the Rutgers paper is an animal study, a non-human animal study. It is it's a murine model, it's mice. So the dementia study will come out probably in May or June. And then we will start to roll out uh, one study after another after that. And then my data, um, I believe it was all available up until a certain point until we switched websites and, and you know, we would be committed to, to getting some of that back up. But we have just a very different website design now because we're selling these uh, aging associated products that help people actually understand their, their biological age better. So we don't have a system for that. And we've folded into being even more of a private company uh, than before. Uh, but we will be getting out a myriad of, of human data over time. And even mine, uh, where we've just kind of gone back to scratch because I've participated in more therapeutics. So now it's kind of like you have to start over with the post-testing. So, okay, we only got about 10, 15 minutes left and I'm going to have to let you go. So I really want you to cover the testing. You have kits on your website. So what if people are so confused about DNA testing, they heard about 23andMe, they, should they do it? No, they don't do it. How do you read it? Um, how do, how does, what, what are you offering and what are you finding? Because I
because I, I love everything, all the tests you have. I want all of them and see exactly where I am. And do you need to do them frequently? You do them once and it's finished. What, what have you got there? So we've got a couple of things on the back uh, bone of the whole system. We have what's called the BioKeeper, and it's a great place to store all of your data, especially if you want to work with us to help solve aging. So let's say that you've gone somewhere and you've done your DNA test and you've done your microbiome test and you've done your epigenetic test. Um, It's a great place to store everything. And if you choose to, you can share your data with us and it helps us look at what aging actually is over time to make better biomarkers. We don't offer a genome kit anymore. We used to. We just suggest that, you know, you go get a whole genome, uh, at least 30 time genome at company of your choice. It is, it's kind of static. Okay. So your, your genome, uh, most of what they're going to look for is, you know, differences, variations, and similarities between humans. Like you said, you have the APOE4. That means that you're an increased risk for Alzheimer's. There is some variation of whether or not you will actually get Alzheimer's based on your lifestyle. That's why we have this biokeeper. So we want to look at multi-omic data. So just having the gene is one thing, but whether or not you actually become sick with the disease, we hope not. We hope you intervene and, and you don't ever get sick from it. But if you do, it gives science a better understanding of, of the relevance of those genes. Let me put your genes into perspective. Your genes are everything when you're born. They you know help you develop as a strong, healthy person. The middle of your life, a lot of it depends on your lifestyle. So healthy lifestyle, healthy diet and healthy exercise. And then in your end of your life, your genes are everything again. They're why you die. Putting that into perspective for you kind of gives you the ability to see, you know, a lot of people can sort of stream through the middle of their life and they'll say, well, the key to disease is is diet and exercise. But that's not really long-term thinking. The key to disease is really your genes. So knowing your genes now is a great education educational process. It gives you the ability to to take a look at them, see what your greater risks are, to intervene the best you can today, and then to educate yourself for those next steps in, in gene therapy tomorrow. Sorry, is BioKeeper then a DNA test? No, BioKeeper is just a place to store your data. Think of it as like Dropbox for for your health data, for your multi-omic data. As far as kits, now what we offer is we offer TimeKeeper, which is an epigenetic kit. And a lot of people think of that as being like a DNA kit, but it's really how your DNA is, whether it's active or not, it's, it's called methylation. And so it's a way to look at your biological age by the expression of your genes. It, it's considered the most accurate uh, biological clock. It's why you might have a whole room of 65 year olds and a couple of them won't live past a year. Some of them will go on to be super centenarians, meaning over 110 years old is how are they biologically aging and what is their biological age? So if your chronological age is 45, but your biological age is 65, then you have a 20 year uh, accelerated aging process. You may want to intervene, whether that's the best you can with diet and exercise or, or start to look at genetics. 
We also offer Glycanage, which looks at your immune system. It is a really cool, uh, powerful kit that, I mean, your immune system, so there's a bunch of downstream effects of aging. There's inflammation, there's a dysfunctional uh, immune system and several downstream effects that we can talk about, but your immune system is a, is a really important part of living a long time and how healthy it is. And of course, we would say that it is related to uh, immune senescence, uh, which is, you know, the you know, why do more people die of COVID who are older? It, you know, immune senescence is a real thing. They don't have, when, it, when it, a virus attacks you, you need a lot of cellular division in your immune system in order to overcome that disease. And if your telomeres are short, you just really don't have that. You don't have the, the benefit of being able to get on top of, of certain diseases. But this uh, looks at the glycolysis on your red blood cells. And actually that's kind of think of that as like sugars uh, attached to your red blood cells. And it, it is uh, a, a really uh, important indicator of your uh, age of your immune system. And then outside of that, we're offering the Genfinity uh, blood tests. Uh, we have, it's the first uh, senescent cell blood test in the world. It looks at your senescent load uh, based on the output of those senescent cells, the, the, the type of cellular uh, debris that they put out, maybe cytokine response. Uh, we're looking at NAD. NAD is like the currency of everything in your cells. You know, you can't make ATP or anything without a good amount of NAD. And we have ability to uh, look at the levels there. And then some of the other blood tests are, are just around there. They're your, your oxidative stress and, and other things happening at the cellular level. And these tests are just, they're going to do nothing but get better. They're going to get more accurate. They're going to get better. And they're going to be hopefully the tests of the future, the tests that doctors actually use to analyze, you know, your mortality risk mm -hmm. rather than the traditional methods or along with the traditional methods. These are amazing tests that I haven't seen around very much at all, but I understand that also these tests that you're sharing um, on your website are actually what you normally use in a lab. This is not just a little thing, you know, a kit you take at home and I don't know, you, I mean, I know you, maybe you take it at home, but they're quite, they're quite sophisticated. Is that right? Yeah, they are. So they're, they're done at this high level of research grade. So our epigenetic kit, you know, it's the uh, epic array system. It, it's looking at the, the most points. It's looking at almost a mil million points of methylation. We're looking now to carry a microbiome kit that's also research grade. They're more expensive. They have more detailed information and they will give us the ability to see because we also do bioinformatics with the uh, patients that go through integrative health systems. They'll give us the ability to have the first glimpses at the, at the future and what the future distribution of these uh, different uh, outcomes will look like. So can anybody go to your site and order this kit and will they be able to read it and understand it or they need their doctor to interpret it? Oh, no, they, they can go and they can get it. And um, we're, we're, we will be building insights. But for instance, like your biological age on these tests, I think you'll, you'll understand that. <laughs> <laughs> if there's anything we understand, it's numbers. That will be uh, more succinctly understandable to people. The readouts will get better with the actionability of things that you can do around them, but, but they're ready uh, to be viewed now. Oh, that's so great. And do you send them in an email? Do you send them by mail? How does somebody get this data? 
you get them in your BioKeeper. Uh, you sign up for an account and right now the BioKeeper is free for the first year and your results uh, will upload into the BioKeeper and it's all secure. It's an encrypted system. So, you know, your data is your data. Oh my gosh. And you can download it. That's a, that's another differentiation factor is you can download all of your raw data, anything that, um, that we offer specifically like the timekeeper, you can download that data. So it's yours to keep. Super interesting. We, um, I know a lot of people out there are taking NAD boosters, for example, but it would be so useful to know where, are, where is your NAD? Like I, I've, I, I'm guessing I have pretty good NAD because I'm quite energetic and, and uh, I love, I feel like I have the mitochondria function, but maybe I'm not, and, or I could watch it degrade. So, but I don't really know unless I tested it. So then I would go, is my supplement working or not working? Whatever it is that you're doing or whatever from, you know, a therapeutic uh, measures you're taking to boost your NAD. It's, it's a great idea. I've never seen that before either. So I, I know you have to go and I have like a million and one other questions and I'm so sorry. I know that there is a couple of questions here too um, that people are asking is just to get them ahead of me. Are there any topical skin cream or other delivery from telomere length, not included TA65 or removal of senescent cells? I don't think that anything works like the gene therapy. One of the things that we'd like to test with the gene therapy is, I mean, number one, if you do a gene therapy, you don't look younger. It really didn't work because you're still dying of some functional aging. If we can target everything, but your skin, we're still in trouble, right? Uh, we are looking to develop a gene therapy that is uh, more liposomal based. That would be um, something that a doctor would administer probably under your dermis. And we will see where that development goes in the future. Bill Andrews is one of our advisors and he doesn't seem positive at all on any, any of the uh, pill-based activators of telomerase or, or skin creams. So I can only go on his suggestion. He would say no. As far as senescent cell removers, I love women run companies. And I know that there is a new company uh, called OneSkin that supposedly um, has some effect on your senescent cells. And and I think that uh, that's some research and, and a product worth looking into. I do believe that there's definitely a future for small molecule approach to senescent cell removal. You don't want to remove all of them because they do have um, some benefits to your overall health and especially wound healing. Those will uh, be one small molecule approach that will only get better and that I would definitely um, get behind once they have those sorted out. So before I let you go, if you could meet your 20 year old self, what would you tell her? Oh boy. If you knew my 20, 20 year old self, um, I would have said, get busy. I would have gotten busy a long time ago. There is really uh, no time to waste. Um, you know, you're here to contribute. You're here to be part of something bigger uh, with the world. I, I just would have definitely told myself, you know, you better get focused. <laughs> I could have done a lot more more if I would have started then. But in serious, since you are still young and you will live a long time, there is still plenty of time. What can we do if, as a listener or any of the viewers here? What can we do to help you on your mission? Well, you can share information and um, you can be uncomfortable. For instance, I don't know if I will live a long time. Um, I, you know, we would hope that we do. And in, in, in the long time that we live, we do many, many great things that help humans uh, live better and healthier. Share information, uh, find 
find your purpose, find something that you love to do that'll have a big impact in the world because that will help me too. When you create something or, you know, make something that makes the world a better place, we all benefit from that and be uncomfortable. Think about, about your 85 year old self. Think about the, the children who are dying today. Think about the over hundred thousand people who will die of, of aging today. Think about their last moments and their thoughts and think about what you can do to change that because it's coming for you. I, I cannot sugarcoat this. I cannot solve this problem on my own. We need all hands on deck. This is a, a magnitude of a problem that, that you need to step into your discomfort to ensure that you work to solve these problems. Uh, it's a, it's a very difficult conversation to have. People are very resistant to hearing how they're going to die. We have spent seven years now studying how you are going to die and not, not one scenario is, is a beautiful scenario. So we should work to make a better place on this planet together. And you can only do that by being real. Exactly. I love that. So yes, seek, seek discomfort. Usually those difficult conversations are the ones that we need to have the most. So thank you so much. I want to share a little bit where people can find more information about you. But before we do that, I know you had some great recommendations. If somebody wants to know more about gene science, do you have any books or websites or resources that they can go to to learn more? Oh, there are so many really cool books. So if you're a person who likes kind of like, you know, what the future might look like, uh, Homo Sapiens and Homo Deus were two really great books walking you through human history uh, to the future. The Cures in the Code was a fantastic book that was written that expresses uh, the distress of how the regulatory system isn't ready for this technology. And this book was written like in 2015 or something. So it was very relevant at the time and still is relevant. The life of the cell, genes, the red queen, you know, going and learning about genes and how they actually, you know, impact our lives, our personalities, you know, what we look like, who we become and uh, the sports gene. There's a, a beautiful book. A lot of people ask me, you know, is it is it unethical to increase people's sports ability? Is that unfair? Well, people are born every day that have an increased ability over you. Is that fair? Going and learning about your own limitations, it can go Going into the uncomfortable, the uh, musical geniuses compared to everyone else, uh, what's the difference? Uh, Should everybody have the equity of having the ability to do that and the agency and autonomy to decide for themselves or should should the government decide for you? There are a lot of really great reading experiences to learn more about this technology. You can find out everything about Liz Parrish and everything she does with BioViva on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, her YouTube channel. I will include everything in the show notes so that you can find all of her resources, her recommended books, and how to reach out to her. So all of these are great resources, um, bioviva-science.com. You probably find lots of great stuff there. So I'm going to let you go, get back to work. (laughs) And thank you so much, everyone who's been here and stayed on for the whole call. And thank you so much, Liz, for your time. I appreciate it. I know you are a busy, busy person. So it's, it's a real, real treat to have you on. And I'm just so grateful for that and your time. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for anyone who listened this long, because 
because uh, it's it's a pretty complex uh, situation uh, when when you're talking about genetics. And it was really fantastic seeing everyone. Uh, David Kekich said something cool one time. He said, even if you don't have a friend, you can look to longevity science to find all your best friends. They're people who love people, and they're they're spending their life to do something good for you. Um, so, you know, these are all really good people. Reach out to them. They're great. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have you again because I do have about 50 more questions for you. Oh, I know. I that, The only thing I regret is that I didn't make it more simple because I think that, you know, we could have, I we, re, we should have five of these and we can break down each area, make it as simple as possible uh, so that people can understand it and have time for questions because questions are, are where really all of the good information comes because that's my favorite spot is you know the the questions uh that get me thinking and and often you know we i mean we've been here for a while we we have some answers and in some places they spur new interest you did a great job in breaking down the science i think it's you did really really well i think it's very understandable um bite-sized chunks but yeah we could definitely dive in deeper and and hopefully there'll be a next time okay thank you have a good day Hey, did you enjoy the podcast? Don't forget to subscribe to be notified of all the new episodes and leave a review to help build the tribe. It's a small act of kindness that brings me big benefits and helps others find this amazing content. The best thing you can do is share. Sharing is caring. Statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Anything we say or products we mention are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information provided by this podcast is not a substitute for personal medical advice and not intended to replace a one-on-one relationship with a qualified healthcare professional. It is intended as a sharing of knowledge and information from the personal research and experience of me and my guests.